Have the Conversation Podcast. Have the Conversation Podcast. Have the Conversation Podcast. The Have the Conversation Podcast. Have the Conversation Podcast. Real people, real conversations. I am pumped to be part of Have the Conversation. You know those charming, charismatic people that light up a room or make you listen a little closer when they're speaking? Well, our guest this week does just that. Joining us this week is Di Manuel. Di is on a mission to positively impact 1 million role models around the globe to lead a functionally fit life through education, encouragement, and community. He's an award-winning digital thought leader and author, distinguished Toastmaster, and a keynote speaker fresh off his first TEDx speech, and a sought-after lifestyle mentor and executive performance coach. Di knows the struggle of the juggle and keeps his health and happiness a priority. He models his work based off of the five Fs, fitness, family, faith, and finances, with an overarching roof of fun, built on a rock-solid foundation of health. We had such a good time connecting and laughing with Di, and we have a feeling you will too. After listening, head on over to htcpod.com for even more information and ways to connect with Di. We've been following you for a while and you're off of your TEDx. I want to jump into all that. I want to know all about that experience, but you know what I'm going to ask you first, and that's what's alive and real for you right now. I love it. Well, you want to know what's alive and real for me right now is the fact that my two teenage girls, my daughters, they're 16 and 18, and uh, it's Brie and Chardonnay. So Chardonnay and Brie. Chardonnay's the 18-year-old, Brie's the 16-year-old. And uh, they both have boyfriends, their first boyfriends right now. Wow. So that, that is very alive and real for me right That's now. That's very real. <laughs> <laughs> but also my, my eldest, you know, this Friday not only goes for her driver's test to get her license, but she also has her graduation, her high school grad. Oh, so it's like, yeah. it's just a full week this week. Yeah. And it's like, woo, lots a lot of, of big life yeah. moments. It is, you know, these massive milestones, right? And uh, obviously it's creating a lot of nostalgia in myself when I start to reflect back on when I was 18, many, many moons ago, uh, some of those uh, experiences and what it was like and uh, trying to really be empathetic, but also equally excited for her. And uh, just, you know, so it's, 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 that's definitely alive and real. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, Do you yeah. feel prepared for the changes that are happening? Uh, you know what? Yes. Uh, That's not no. a confidence. <laughs> <laughs> it's a yes and a no. And uh, <laughs> I was going to say my, uh, my wife, you, you know, Christy is, is phenomenal. And uh, she, she was the eldest of five siblings. And uh, as a result, uh, or actually, sorry, I should say six, because she also has a half sister, uh, her dad remarried. And, um, you know, just, it, it, she's just great. Like she's, she's used to, to have, I mean, she raised a lot of her siblings a lot of the time. Right. And uh, so she's just got this head on her shoulders. That's really good at just making sense and also seeing things before they happen. And I, I, I just, I feel so, you know, grateful to, to have her as a partner. Because you know? yeah. she definitely, like, if I was on my own trying to do this, I, I my answer would be very different. <laughs> I, but I'd like to know, I, I'd figure it out. I'd figure it out. You know? but, <laughs> That's uh... honest. That's completely <laughs> honest and relatable. Yeah. For sure. We need people. Well, it's funny that you brought her up because one of the big things throughout your TEDx was that question she originally asked oh, you, right? You know, Ooh, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Well, you know, I, I think we all have certain habits or we learn habits in our life and the habits can be okay, but when they start to, to encroach on quality of life, quality of relationships, 
our health, our well-being, our, especially our mental health, we have to start questioning, are these habits really that good for me? You know, should I be continuing down this path? And the thing with habits, they become habitual, they become ritualistic, they become automatic. And they sneak up on you too. They really do, you know, and we... It's the little things that we do every day that actually make the greatest difference over time. And, and we know this, but we don't really own it all the time. <laughs> you know, at least I didn't. And, no, no. you know, the, the habit that really took hold of me was this ritual around de-stressing and decompressing at the end of the day and, and having a few drinks. And it was something that I learned very early on in my late teen years as uh, I went through a big lifestyle change. I went from being morbidly obese to being a fit dude and having a healthy, active lifestyle. That took about two years to, to really live into that uh, shift in, in lifestyle. Uh, but also at that time, because I was very insecure still, had a lot of uh, self-doubt uh, as well as, you know, I just, I, I was naturally just introverted and uh, which also led to some of those health issues that I battled, you know, with the obesity and, and, uh, but I wanted to make some changes. And, and I learned late in my teen years, as all of a sudden I was getting invitations to come and hang out with certain people and they weren't the, the right crowd, but to me, that was novel. It was exciting. I was like, whoa, yeah. you're talking to me. I can yeah. come hang out with you guys. And, and for them, you know, they smoked, they, they drank and, and that was just what they did, you know, and, and I wanted to be accepted. So I found myself starting to, 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 you know, partake in some of the alcohol, especially. And I realized pretty quick, you know, these insecurities seem to just disappear. Mm -hmm. I was like, <laughs> wow, I feel I can talk to anybody right now. I've had a few drinks. I think it, it was just this weird sort of shift for me. And, mm -hmm. and I tied a lot of those experiences to alcohol and it, so it, it started to reinforce certain aspects of who I wanted to be. And I believe that alcohol was this, the, the gateway to get me there, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, so well into my 20s, as I started building and scaling my, my last company, I, I still continued this habit, you know? And then I met my wife, we had our kids young and, and you know, just continued to operate and function really well. Uh, as I used to say, you know, we worked really hard, but we partied harder, you know, and it's called balance. It, it was, there was no balance. You know? It was like, that was the issue. There was no balance. And, and it really started to encroach into my life. And, and here's the interesting thing, right? Like I was chasing titles. I was chasing, uh, I was chasing acceptance, you know, I was, I was really, looking for people to, to look at me and give me the accolades and the affirmations and, you know, anything that would stoke my ego, that was what would drive me. And uh, so I was very sheltered still. And I would try to hide what was happening within the home, right? What was happening inside our walls and what was happening inside was I was really just disconnected. I wasn't always present for my family. They weren't always getting the best of me. They were in fact getting what was ever left over at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, just, my kids were under the age of six and there came this fateful day where my wife sat me down to tell me that, you know, what's life going to look like when we're separated because this isn't working wow. and this is not a healthy environment to raise our girls in. And, and I got to admit to you both right now, you know, at that moment when my wife even just said that, I, you know, when you get that pit in your stomach and it just feels like an abyss and it's just like, oh my gosh. And you just feel like you're slowly sinking into that. And it, I had that feeling, but what was really driving that feeling was the fact that I couldn't argue. I could not defend. 
because there was nothing to defend. She was absolutely correct. And that was hard to, That'll to shut accept. the ego down. <laughs> well, it really does, right? And, 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 yeah. and I was always somebody, you know, I worked in sales and marketing and I like to think I can speak pretty well. And, and, and so I could always talk my way out of anything, but I realized I had nothing I could say at this moment. Yeah. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, obviously tears were shed on both sides and because we'd already been together for 10 years at this point, you know, we, yeah. we had a life together, you know, and mm-hmm. we still loved each other very deeply. And then she asked me a question. And this is the question I, I share, you know, in the TEDx talk where she asked me, she said, Di, are you being the type of man you'd want your daughters to marry? Boom. <laughs> you know, it's like, Let me if serve we, you some oh, humble pie. Yeah. Oh, man. And, and beyond, right? It was like, yeah. it, it was, and I, I know this is an awful pun, a bit of a dad joke, but it was a very sobering moment in my life, you know, where all of a sudden I realized that, no, I mean, if someone like me at that time, 10 years ago, showed up on my doorstep, even if they showed up today with my daughters being 16 and 18, if they showed up and said, hey, I would like to, you know, take your daughters out or get to know them better. I'd be like, no freaking way you're coming to my house, you know, like get out of here. And yet that's who I was modeling. That's who I was saying. This is a father. This is a husband. This is a business owner. This is a man, you know, like this is what I was modeling. I was saying these things are okay. And in that moment, I just made a commitment to myself for, to go one year without drinking. And I also made the commitment to them. I said, I'm doing this, you know, I'm doing this for me, I'm doing this for us. I'm, I'm going to remove this crutch. And uh, you have to realize this, I'm 33 at that point when I made that decision 11 years ago. And, you know, from the age of 17 to 33, the longest I'd gone without drinking might've been a month mm-hmm. where yeah. I did a health thing, right? Abstain from alcohol for 30 days, you know, yeah. like that was it. That was the longest stretch ever from the age of 17. So we talk about these habits right like mm-hmm. it, it was a really deeply ingrained habit and and I realized those first three weeks of saying no more uh that I couldn't do it on my own you know I, I knew I needed support I needed some help and uh, uh and unfortunately I, I got some support got some help and I just started doing the inner work started working on me instead of working on my businesses which I was always thinking work on the business professional development professional development professional development make more money make more accolades you know like distract eagle, eagle, distract, eagle. distract oh man yeah and and so all of a sudden I was like oh, you know what what if I turn the focus inward what if I actually start to look at me and my life and what I want and holy that was just uh I mean it was a great thing but it, it was a lot of work a lot of work I, yeah it was a lot of work it was it was I would have rather just gone back to work, you know, got just shut myself up. Oh yeah. That's what you were. 100%. Yeah. 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 Totally. But that other stuff. Ooh. Yeah. It made me uncomfortable, but you know, uh, it's, it's helped me become who I am now and it will continue to, to drive me well into the future. You know? Did you do that in like kind of a 12 step program process or did you do I, it your own way? Well, you know, and I know there's people that will hear this and they may not agree. Uh, I have a lot of friends in the various step programs and uh, because also my drinking would often lead to narcotic usage, uh, you know, especially like cocaine, like this is just the people I was getting around, you know, these kind of people I was associating with. This is a, just a normal thing. You do this on the weekends and. uh, Well, alcohol is only going to numb so much. So you look for the next thing and then you look for the next thing. And then eventually there's nothing left but yourself. And you're like, oh shit. (laughs) What happened? Yeah. 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 I found myself there. I know. Oh. Well, I'm yeah. sorry to hear that. Like, it, it's not a, an easy place to be, uh, but 
you know, as I always joke, I was like, yeah, I felt like I was on rock bottom. And, and I said, and even when I reflect on it, it felt like the rock was on me. You know, oh. I was like, <laughs> you were under the rock. <laughs> I was under it, you know, and, uh, and it felt very immobilizing, you know, and there was a lot of fear there. And especially the fear of loss, you know, losing my family. And, and cause I already knew if that anchor was gone, this ship was going to be floating adrift mm -hmm. for who knows how long until it maroons itself on some distant shore. If I, and maybe I'll be alive, you know, like it was, there was a lot of fear and concern there, but it, it wasn't fear driving the decision. And cause I never felt like I was an alcoholic. I didn't feel like I was an addict. And the, the main reason being is I, I really had a hard time accepting that I am powerless to this thing outside of myself. I, I just, that, that one just, I just couldn't accept that. I couldn't accept that I'm going to own this label till the day I die. I just, I was like, I believe change can happen. I've seen it happen. It's happened in my life. It's seen in other people's life. People change and they can change. And, you know, to define someone and label them and to, to have to own that label and wear it almost like, you know, with a button of pride saying, yeah, I'm this many years sober, but I'm an alcoholic. Like, I, I just, I couldn't accept that. That, that was just me. Again, I'm, I, I think the program's amazing. I've seen it work for many people, but it just didn't work for me. So like for me, it was cognitive behavioral therapy uh, along with really just getting clear. Uh, if you're familiar with logotherapy, you know, this idea of, of trying to align and get clarity on what is my purpose? What is my, my meaning? What is it that I want, you know, for my life? Now, those are big questions. I mean, how many of us actually take the time to create the space to actually reflect and introspect on that question and you know I, I, I to be honest uh, I mean up to that point in my life I don't think I'd ever really thought about it I was like well I just gotta make money I gotta be successful you just I keep going yeah. yeah I just I'm just going through what I believe you're checking everybody else boxes. is doing <laughs> you're, you're checking boxes you're doing good things you know you were successful in that so that's totally relatable <laughs> uh it's hard though too right like at the yeah. same time oh, yeah. then you start to think about it. it's like wow I've checked off a lot of boxes I've accomplished a lot but why don't I feel very fulfilled Right. Why, why don't I feel very satisfied? Why don't I feel happy? You know, I thought I'd be happier by now. I mean, I don't really have anything to worry about. I got everything to be grateful for, yet I just don't really feel connected to my life. And, and I think that was also what was making it much easier just to keep drinking, keep distracting myself, keep avoiding even acknowledging the discontent I had with my life at that period of time, you know? And uh, so in reflection, uh, I, I realized that there, there must be other ways for me to get some support because I, I did, as I, I allude to it, it was like having a crutch in my life, right? It was my crutches. It helped me function and just be mobile. And as soon as you remove the crutches, I realized, Whoa, I got a pretty bad limp here. I'm going to have to get some, some, <laughs> some work here. You know, I got to learn how to function without this crutch. And right. yeah, those first few weeks really hard. And I found a psychologist worked with him for four or five months. Uh, we also found a relationship counselor for my wife and I to go. And after a couple of visits, <laughs> it was determined by all of us that, you know, Chrissy, you're okay. Um, I think guys, guys needs to do some one-on-one -on -one with them. <laughs> and so uh, I, I stayed on and, and worked with her and, uh, and then just, you know, really just started to explore because now as my mind was becoming clear, I reconnected with my own health. I started to, to focus on my health, focus on my fitness again, making that a, a non-negotiable, a priority, moving every day with a bit of purpose, started doing some regular meditation, started journaling, like all the things that we hear we ought to be doing. I, know. I, I actually just started trying them. Yeah, I feel like I'm on that part of my journey right now where cool. I'm really trying to like focus in on that. So yeah. I think that's great. And what have you noticed so far since you started? how bad I actually am. 
you're bad. Why that? No one's bad. I don't believe yeah, No, you know, you, you realize where you're lacking though. Do you uh, not? You know, for sure. And then, but I've learned how much endurance I have as a human being. And I think that that's exciting because I know that even if it's a rough day, I'm gonna, I know I'm going to come back tomorrow and keep going. So I think that's been really big for me, especially that's lately. That's yeah. Huge. I mean, I, I look at just humanity. I mean, we are so resilient, like to, to a fault. If you're a climate change proponent, you know, like we'd probably say humanity has been too resilient, you know, to, to a fault because we're just, you know, top of the food chain. But man, we, we consume a lot and there's a lot of excess, right? And, uh, and I know there's lots of conversation around that if we wanted to go down that path. But, but ultimately, what I'm trying to say is that I, I think we have the ability to adapt very quickly if we want to. I still think there's a lot of choice that's involved with, you know, either accepting that, hey, yeah, there's some things I want to change, but I'm probably going to have to do things very differently than I've done before. And, and there, you know, so there's that involvement of learning something new or doing something for the first time and the frustration that comes with that, right? <laughs> it's just like, I, like while we were living in Bali for a couple of years, I, I was picking up surfing because that's what everybody does in Bali. You surf, right? You surf and you do yoga. That's yeah. pretty much the, the <laughs> gist of it. And because uh, it's island living, right? And, and I yeah. realized that, man, I got frustrated. Like it was really hard as a 40 really? plus year old man trying to learn a new sport bet, and someone that, yeah. I, and I never grew up doing water sports, you know? And uh, so it was just, it was really challenging, really hard. I never really got to a point where I felt like I could say I'm a surfer, right? Like I never <laughs> got there, but, but I, I, it reminded me. And I think this is why it's so good for all of us to always be trying to do new things. You know, it doesn't yeah. mean to stick to it, but just try it, you know, because it is a little bit of humble pie, but also at the same time, it reminds us that, hey, you know what? I can learn new things. I can adapt. I can grow. I can continue to progress in my own life as long as I'm willing to be an active participant, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm like, and that's, those are the learnings that that, uh, have sort of come through some experiences since making that decision 11 and a half years ago to just say, no more alcohol. I'm just going to cut that out right now. And, and, you know, just so you're both aware, like my wife and I, even when we came around to that one year of me saying, I'm not going to drink for a year, like we were talking about having a glass of wine to celebrate and all that. And I got there and I was like, you know, I've had so much growth in this last year. I just, let's just keep going. Let's just see what happens. Like, I don't really feel any need or desire to even have a, now, a, a drink, you know, and the draw goes away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, 11 and a half years later, still having a drink. But I, I, I don't say that to say like, hey, can I have a pin, please? Like, yeah, that's not right like do you know what I mean like that's not do, why I'm yeah. doing it I'm not doing it for that recognition I'm not yeah like it's 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 different that way you know like uh so anyways I don't want to go off on the the the, the various programs like you know like, yeah no it's individualized and I think that that just shows that when that's your intention and you're going to stick to it and I think that's what a lot of people need to be able to make that catalyst of change it has to be real with you you can't be doing it for the chip for the the pin for for all that stuff for sure well I wanted to ask so you mentioned you were overweight in high school and that's when you kind of started your fitness journey but after you became sober you said you kind of focused on your health more was that when like your real love for health and fitness started or when did that begin yeah, I always loved health and fitness. Like from the time that I, I, I sort of just worked through all those changes as a, as a teen, I, I just, I got a lot of enjoyment from just moving, you know, like doing various, like mountain biking I love to do. And later I got into rock climbing and I love that. And just the way my body felt when I was climbing up a rock face, you know, or even indoor climbing, you know, I just, I enjoyed that, that activity. I also enjoyed seeing the improvement 
you know, coming back uh, after a few sessions and then being able to do something that I couldn't do previously, you know? And uh, so I, I, I got a lot of fulfillment from that. And uh, also I, I then got into martial arts, uh, specifically boxing and kickboxing. And, and uh, I just excelled. I, I did really, really well with that. And I, I enjoyed it from the, the aspect of fitness. Like it wasn't because I had animosity, right? It wasn't like I was looking to fight. It wasn't an aggression thing. It was simply a, an artistic thing. It was moving my body. Because, well, it, I, I didn't have that kind of spatial awareness nor control because I didn't grow up playing sports like a lot of other people because I was obese. I avoided doing sports. I avoided phys ed class, you know, like I was the guy that would make excuses because there's no way I'm changing in front of my peers. You know, I was yeah. like, I've done that before. It didn't work out so well. Yeah. I still get teased about it. I'm like, I, I just, so I, I was the cliche, you know, that gets portrayed in the movies quite often. The, the lonely fat kid that gets teased. Well, that, that was my life, you know, like that's just what it was. And uh, so, so looking to uh, any way to avoid any pain or discomfort, that was my goal. And, and so as I got into my 20s and started to explore all these other things that I really started to get my, to know my body, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. And, you know, even, and I think this is the thing that people still don't fully comprehend is uh, even though my lifestyle choices, and, and like I said, yeah, I worked hard, but I partied harder, you know, like that, that <laughs> I was still very active. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so a lot of the perceptions of those that were outside even the people that have known oh, you for quite fine. a while you can do yes it. exactly and and but also when they heard the TEDx talk and me being much more vulnerable and open about this story and I, I first wrote about this on my website I did a series called the addiction free life series and uh and you know I wrote a number of articles that sort of talked about some of the ways that I I navigated these changes and uh, I remember people first reading that or hearing me share about this and they're like, I had no idea. There's no, no inclination that, that you were struggling or you had a drinking problem, you know, like, and, and I guess like I was friends just, of yours, people who knew you. Yeah. Just people that knew me, people that were in our communities even, but not people that I would say go out and drink socially with. Right. So it, I was pretty good at sheltering that part and only hanging out with certain people that knew that certain guy. And I had the moniker, you know, fun guy die, you know, like yeah. that was, I remember, man, I remember going to conferences and uh, some of my suppliers would, would, I'd be working the, the show and walking around meeting everybody. And they're always like, so where are you going tonight? Dad? Where, where yeah. are you going to be hanging? You know, like we want to hang with you, you know, like, and, and. Was that exhausting to keep up? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So. You know, it, it really was, but also this idea that I have this, there's this expectation of me now. You know, yeah. like, I've got you to change perform. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and it, I did, you know, it got to a point where I just, I'd go to conferences, but I'd be like, yeah, I'll be hanging out here, but I wouldn't be drinking, you know, and I wouldn't be the one feeding the rounds, you know, like I'm just, and I would normally only stay for a round or two. And then I'd, I'd ghost, you know, I'd pull a Houdini and just disappear, you know, like I'd, I'd literally just go back to my room. Relatable again. Yeah. <laughs> get up at 5 a.m. Yeah, go for a workout. Like, I just, I was like, I don't need to be here. After a couple rounds, the conversation is not going anywhere anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> peace, mm -hmm. I'm gone. Right. You know? yeah. And uh, and they they picked up on that pretty quickly. And, and it was interesting to see because I remember even in my own company at the time, there was a whole cultural shift with internally. You know, where before, it, I, I like we even talked about this later, you know, after that transition, especially a couple years later, like our, our staff, functions even like uh, our golf tournament that we do every year 
you know, the alcohol bill was ridiculous, oh, like sure. ridiculous, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then to see it as it progressed, as I made that change, it, we saw the alcohol bill be cut by half, wow. some cases even more. That's how and, much and you were it, drinking? No, 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 it wasn't just me. <laughs> I know that, that's what we're thinking, right? But, Fun but guy I, died. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I was feeding rounds all the time, though. I was, I'd be the guy, because yeah. if I bought another round, it gave me permission to have another drink. Mm, you sure. know, and so I got really good at sort of playing the game, you mm-hmm. know, to, to allow myself to look like the hero, but while also serving my own selfish needs to, to just fuel myself with alcohol. And uh, so, yeah, there, there's lots of little things, you know, but I'm like, oh, well, Complex. it's part of my life. It's what I, yeah. I was like. It was what I lived through. I, I, I was still doing a lot of good at the same time. But as, as I said in the TEDx talk, you know, uh, my, my wife was very quick to say that, you know, to remind me that. Yeah, you're doing all these great things, but just another night of you going out and, and disrespecting yourself and your family and, and you know, just not being someone of integrity based on what I would normally say are my values. And then all of a sudden I go out and I do this thing. I even turn my cell phone off so I wouldn't have to respond to her. Yeah, I say, yeah. Oh, my phone died. I lost track of time. I'm so sorry. You know, mm-hmm. like you can only say that so many times. Come on. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and so, you know, it, it was just exhausting. I'll just put it that way. And, uh, and, and it doesn't matter how good or great you may think you are and what you're doing. All it takes is one bad event and one bad night to completely undermine and devalue all the good that you've done previously. And, and that's what I really started to understand and appreciate was, yeah, I, I, you know, one, one slip, like that's, that's how you lose trust, right? It's like you, you can be someone that says something and people believe it, they accept it. But then you do something that's completely the opposite of that. I mean, of course, people are going to be like, huh? <laughs> like, what's going on here? I don't know if I can trust you. I mean, everything you told me before, is it even true? Like, and, and so I, I was definitely felt at times that I was living a double life. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm so curious. Like, so you said you started kind of hanging out with that crowd in your mid-teens or so. Did your parents warn you about, I guess it's like a two-part question. Did your parents warn you about stuff like that? And then, and then how do you kind of parent your girls differently to make sure they're prepared for those kinds of situations? So uh, when I was nine, my parents separated and this was pretty hard, you know, like, I'm, again, I'm dating myself now. I'm 44 now. So this is like a long time ago. But it was a long time ago. And, and I remember there's only one other kid in my class that had parents that weren't together still, you know, like where today, yeah. I mean, it's over half the classes are typically, you know, in households where they, they might have split households, you know, yeah. they might have two parents that have both remarried or in new relationships. Like it's just, it's a norm now. It's actually more than the normal. It's, it's like, if you're still together after 15 years, it's like, huh? Woo! How did yeah, that work? That's like my, the rarity. It is right. My wife and I, we've been dating for 21 years, right? Like, it's like, it is, it's a, it's quite the milestone and, and did I plan for that? Well, I, I, I like to think that I wanted that, but it, you know, it's sort of just a byproduct of the changes that we've endured because we're both very different people than who we met when, you know, 21 years ago and, uh, uh, or more than 21. Um, so, so where I was going to go with that, um, just to, to circle back, sorry, I get off on these like squirrel, you know, these little side, <laughs> <laughs> little, little sidetracks, but the, the, the question again was what? <laughs> no, so, so did, did your parents prepare oh, you for yes. the, yeah, and then, then how do you, <laughs> no, you're good. We do the same thing. We won't get a single point finished here. <laughs> yeah. With the, welcome to have the conversation. Yeah. This is where I am all over today. Okay. 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 Yeah. So uh, my parents separated 
And my dad had a practice and he also just, he loved his work. He absolutely loved it. He was a veterinarian and loved just everything that he did, you know, and he was very, very good at it too. And uh, I remember at his funeral, the amount of people that came out and just the, the positive words that were shared with me at his funeral for four years ago was just amazing. Cause it, there was things that were shared that I was like, man, that, that was my dad, my dad, you're talking about my dad, you know, like it, it was just, it was a really weird realization that I was like, eh, I don't know if I knew my dad as well as I thought I did, you know, okay. and, and, and that goes both ways, you know, like, and, and that's an, another story entirely, but, <laughs> but um, it's actually, you know, if we get onto the conversation of vulnerability, uh, especially with men, that, that there was a big piece that, that my dad played in that. He doesn't realize that, but, but he did. But um, uh, so here, my parents separated. And my mom, just based on, you know, split households, I'd only see my dad every other weekend. Uh, so it was my brother and I that lived with my mom. My brother was a couple years younger than me. And my mom was leveling up her education so she could earn some more as well to better support us. So even though she's working full time as a nurse, she's also going back to school for her wow. master's. So, you know, the amount of time that our parents were around, we had a lot of alone time, you know, or time with a babysitter. And uh, until we were of age where we could be at home by ourselves. And and so that was different, right? So we didn't have a strong male figure in our life. My mom was dating occasionally. She didn't remarry until I was like 19 after I'd already moved out of the house. Um, so without that strong masculine energy, let's just say, that that person that could be in my life to, to sort of help me navigate some of these pieces, uh, I, I found myself very much going with the flow of wherever everybody else is going. Mm -hmm. I, I definitely was someone that uh, just would like I was e easily influenced mm -hmm. you know because also people paying attention to me inviting me to do things I was like wow this is this, this is special me. well yeah. I did and and it felt good and I didn't want to rock that boat and even though there was something in me I I, I mean I never liked smoking I was asthmatic so I was like this is not a good idea uh, <laughs> and, you know but but also the drinking I was just I never really enjoyed it but I did it and I would often drink too much to the point where I'd get home. I still don't remember how I'd get home sometimes, you know, like, and, and so the, the discussion was there, but I was really good at hiding it. My brother, not so much. He, he, he was the one that would get caught in the act a lot of time, but I was really good at just sort of navigating that. But I was also still very responsible and, and very respectful because we had some really strong uh, values in our home and, and how we were raised. So you know, I, I became very good at walking that line, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, tiptoeing back and forth every once in a while. But I've uh, got a child like you. Oh. <laughs> I think I was a child like you. I was like, I am still, I'm like, I know why I'm drawn to you the more you speak, because I'm just like, yep, check that box in my life. <laughs> I know you. <laughs> so that was it, you know, and, and my dad and I, uh, I had a lot of resentment for my dad, mm -hmm. you know, a for lot. For sure. How could you? And, yeah. And it wasn't his fault. He had to do what he had to do. I know that him and my mom fell out of love and my mom didn't, my dad did. And, and I resented him for that. I was angry. I was upset. And I, I didn't know how to work through that. And on top of that, I, I learned to console a lot of my emotions through food and video games, and movie watching. Like I just adopted this lifestyle and that's how I self-medicated, which probably was a big reason why when I eliminated the food and got hold of that and started to really adopt a healthy active lifestyle and, and started to feel a lot better but all of a sudden a new vice was introduced right and and that's where alcohol to cold it, well it did you know and, yeah. and it was 
because here I was, I thought I reinvented myself. I, you know, I'm going to be this new person. This is who I am. And, and just, I wanted the attention, you know, I wanted acceptance mm -hmm. and the people that was giving it to me. Yeah. Were they good people? Sure. In their own right, but they weren't positive influences. That's for sure. And, and so back to your original question, you know, has it influenced how we parent, how, how we connect with our own daughters and, uh, we are definitely very open in our dialogue. Uh, so there's nothing off the table. Uh, we, we like to ensure that our daughters can talk to us about everything and anything, uh, you know, as much as they're feeling comfortable with. And sure. we, we just want them to know we're here. And, and my wife has certain conversations that are, um, let's just say she's more geared to having that conversation with them just based <laughs> yeah. on her own experiences. And uh, and I'm there to offer a lot of that strength and support and, and you're like in the background, uh, like thumbs up. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I am. I am. Or, you know, and, and I've recognized where my role is strongest and, and where I can add my own value. That's um, so beautiful. Yeah. 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 And you know, there's some of those conversations and I, <laughs> I, I learned that my eldest, uh, Chardonnay, she's old enough now. I don't think she'll mind me telling the story, but I, I remember uh, we, we had a little dog, uh, his name's Spencer. My mom's since adopted. When we started traveling overseas, my mom then adopted our dog and we don't have the heart to ever. I mean, it's, it's her it dog. It's her dog now, you know, like there's, <laughs> he's never coming home, but Spencer's this little, uh, Spencer. Uh, uh, this little toy, um, not, no, sorry, what, what do they call them? It's a Yorkie, but a mini, like a little oh, teeny. Yeah. I mean, it, it looks like a stuffed animal, right? <laughs> and and uh, so here we are, and my dad was dealing with pancreatic cancer, and so my, my mom was remarried, and my dad was remarried, but so we, we went back so we could be around him during those final six months and, and uh, during that end of life process. And uh, so we're staying at my mom's, and, and we have Spencer there, and uh, I see Spencer just tear out and he's got this thing in his mouth and I'm like Spencer what are you what, what are you doing there and I remember tackling him and grabbing the same anyways it, it, I, that's when I found out my daughter had her first period you know was uh, <laughs> you know, the, the dog turned around the house with the this on. Oh, <laughs> it was, oh my daughter was uh oh she was she was embarrassed but I was like yeah, it's all good don't worry about it you oh know like God, but, but it was just it was funny fun. like I I didn't know I had no idea. My wife knew, but I was like, why didn't yeah. you tell me this? You know, like the dog <laughs> didn't tell me. <laughs> <laughs> the dog <Yeah>. told me. <laughs> so it, it was uh, kind of funny, but, but there's been moments like that, you know, and um, even now uh, my, my eldest, like I, I have to commend her just her. She, she's just a very interesting person, you know, like she's, she's a very unique individual, but she's also very much self-driven okay. and, you know, now with her first serious boyfriend and they've been together for a bit and, uh, you know, she's graduating this week and, and all this other stuff. So there's some big milestones happening, but, you know, she wrote this big, long letter to my wife and I, and, uh, in this letter i don't know yeah she'll probably not listen to this so it's okay i can i'm just gonna say it anyway so you never I'm asked not me not to say it uh well i know but i i was just so impressed by this because she wrote this letter talking about you know just that she has these feelings that she's she's her and her boyfriend at this time have had the discussion about being each other's first and mm -hmm. all, like basically this well thought out well written out letter and just explaining so she could organize her thoughts wow. and and she sent it to us and we read it and we're like my gosh you know she was talking about you know like uh birth control options that she wants to go get tested he's gonna get tested like just all these things i was like 
That's so so when I was 17, almost 18, and right, I was not, you know, nope, I, I was not going to go to my parents with that stuff. I mean, I just no uh, letters from me. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely so I, not. It, it made my wife and I very happy and very proud. How could like, it Whoa. not? That's, you, should be proud. you should be proud. Like that's amazing. Yeah. It was That's pretty cool. Every parent wants. Because a lot of people, I think, want to be open parents and, and have their kids feel comfortable, but it doesn't always translate to the child. Yeah. That's, I Actually like doing sign. it is another yeah. thing altogether. True. Yeah. For sure. Oh, that's huge. And that's also, I mean, that goes back to your TED Talk being vulnerable. You have to be vulnerable in order to allow those conversations to happen. Um, and then she, I mean, you're clearly passing that down onto her. That's such a vulnerable thing for her to write that letter to her parents. That's unbelievable. Yeah. You have nothing but to be like, all you can be is proud at that yeah. point. I think we, we did when we first read it, I was like, wow. I was like, this is awesome. I, I was just like, okay, well, whatever we can do to support her, it, it is her choice. She's 18. She, she I mean, it's, it's her body. Yeah. Like she, we think the guy's amazing we've hung out with his parents as well we had this yeah service. it's getting real so it's like it's like this is great you know like awesome you know and uh so i know they got a camping trip planned in july so i'm like hmm <laughs> what's happening when you go camping huh have a good time i don't want to talk about it <laughs> oh my god yeah, she's, she's pretty good at changing the subject but uh yeah, i like to i girl. like to tease her i like to tease her so of course yeah. what did they think of your tedx well so let me, have either of you had an opportunity to do a TEDx yet? yet? No, no, we like yes. to interview. Okay. We like okay. to interview the people. <laughs> okay, well, hey, yet. Hey, listen, I believe everyone's got a, a talk in them. You know, I had it on my vision board for like seven years before I finally found oh, myself wow. going incredible. through the process. And, and I want, we want to hear about the process too. Yeah, about, I have so many questions. Yeah. Okay, it's, it's, so my, it's it might intense. secretly be on my board, but huh. I don't know. I'm not going to yeah. admit to actually saying anything. <laughs> do, yeah, do it. <laughs> anyway, I think there, there, everyone's got a message uh, agree, that can impact others, you know, and uh, I so I always felt, especially after going through these big, big shifts in my life, you know, I'd learned a lot. Uh, I'd experienced a lot. I, I discovered a lot about myself and also other people uh, along the way, based on some of the conversations that started to emerge while I started just being more vulnerable about my, about my own story. And because I, I found pretty quick that, you know, when one person's vulnerable, it gives somebody else permission to be vulnerable too. You know, it's, it's sure. especially with this has taught us that I think yeah. wholeheartedly. I think this is our weekly TEDx. We we do this. It is. <laughs> it well, really is. The subject matter that you guys cover. I mean, it's very broad, right? But but it's amazing, and and it goes so many different directions just based on what naturally flows. But but still, there has to be a certain level of vulnerability for all parties for it to to really naturally unfold and to create that that safe space where we mm -hmm. can feel okay to be open you know, mm -hmm. and, and not worry about being judged or maybe having something that we share used against us, you know, like there's, mm -hmm. I know as, as a man, those were always my concerns, you know, yeah. it's like, oh, if I'm vulnerable with this other guy, I mean, I'm already sizing him up as a competition, like, I can't tell him anything that's serious or, or real for me, because I don't know him yet, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and, and so, you know, I knew I wanted to, to start connecting with more men, you know, because I, I didn't really have that many close male friends in my life. Mm -hmm. I even looked at my dad and his life. And, you know, he was very naturally introverted. And and uh, even when it came to what he did at work, he was often his business partner was the guy that was out front dealing with all the, the, the patients and the clients and uh, where he was in the back doing all the other stuff, doing all the, the surgeries. He loved to do the surgeries because it was just mm -hmm. him and a couple other techs in the room. And he could just 
do his thing. Focus on what he knew. Yeah. Didn't have to talk to anybody, right? <laughs> and, I mean, I and, get it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I can see the benefit, right? I can see the attraction to that. And uh, so if, if I think back, the, the TEDx, I just knew that at some point I wanted to do it. But because of our travels, you know, when I, I literally quit a career of 17 years, my wife quit hers. And a few months after that, we pulled the kids out of school and we gave away all our stuff. And we just said, well, let's be a full-time family and go traveling and we'll figure it out as we go. You is know? that when you went to Bali? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, after my dad passed, we, we Leanne, I feel like this is going to be you. Sorry. <laughs> oh. oh my God. I, I, I went to Bali a couple of years ago with some friends and it, it is just jaw droppingly, unbelievably beautiful. It's like, I've it's never a, been anywhere like this. It's a nice place. It's uh, <laughs> a nice place to call home for a bit. And, uh, you know, we knew that family specifically my my I knew my dad was dealing with health issues you know like he, he had some and, and so our first couple of years of traveling was just in North America okay. so we traveled all over the U.S. and all over Canada uh, well spring and summer in Canada usually <laughs> any of the cold months down south so uh, we, we, we we like to chase the sun as best we can hence Bali eventually you know after my dad passed we went to Bali and we were there for two and a half years and then came back to Vancouver right before COVID it wasn't COVID that wasn't the reason that we came back actually it was because our kids wanted to finish high school here. Yeah. And so we always said to them, if they ever wanted to come back and finish school in Canada, we would honor it. And yeah. they, they played the card. They, they said, yeah, we can come back. And I was like, really? <laughs> Honestly, thank God, because if the timing were any different, you could be stuck in Bali during COVID. And I don't think that would be a very good situation. Well, I've got a lot of friends in Bali. Trust me, it's it's actually a pretty good situation. Is it? Oh, really? it is. Um, at first, there was a lot of unknowns, but now because it was a mass exodus, it, there's actually it, my friends say that had traveled in Bali like even 20 years ago. Uh, you know, they're like, it, it's Bali of 20 years ago. Like, there's just not that many people. The beaches are empty and clean, <laughs> and so it's there's a, some attraction. I guess it would be like going to Disneyland right now, right? It's just yeah, like yeah. It, it's uh anyways um <laughs> i digress so here i got back to vancouver uh we were settling in during covid you know lots of craziness happening everyone's like what's happening in the world or is it over like what are we gonna do you know like even my business uh, uh you know i saw 80 percent of my revenues drop literally in a, a span of two months and so there was a lot of like oh boy what are we gonna do what are we gonna right. do you know the sky is falling pivot, pivot. yeah yeah and uh but I, I, I sort of just fine-tuned. I eliminated some parts and I just got back to basics, you know, what, what, what always seemed to work for me. I just got back to doing that and, you know, picked things back up, you know, within another four months, I was right back where we were. So, you know, we were able to sort of bounce back pretty quickly. And I then also started to, to reconnect with the, the Toastmasters community. Uh, this is a, a piece, like I, I'm a big believer that, you know, community is important. And uh, for me, you know, that 11 years ago when I was making those changes, Toastmasters was one of the communities I started to, to participate in. <laughs> and for those that don't know, Toastmasters is a, a global organization. It's a nonprofit, uh, but it's, it's there to help people become more effective communicators as well as develop leadership skills. And I dove all in. I was like, okay, I want to do this because I was naturally introverted. Uh, if I was talking to more than two or three people at once, I'd get like, you know, mm -hmm. just I'd get intimidated and, and trip over my words. And, and I wanted to be able to tell a story without all that stuff, you know? Yep. 
And I loved it. And, and so even when we lived in Bali, we, we started a new club there. We were actively involved uh, on the leadership teams for a number of other clubs. So like we were just loving Toastmasters again and got back to Vancouver. I was invited to do a talk at a, a club that I started at over 11 years ago. Oh, and cool. Turned, and this is the craziest thing. The guy that was actually the first person that I heard give a Toastmaster speech at my very first meeting, Alan Warburton, a, a retired principal who's now like a professional speaker uh he was also uh the one that just basically inspired me to want to be a speaker you know and 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 here it was i came back after you know being away for a good period of time and it turned out that alan was now the the owner of or the licensee holder for tedx surrey or tedx bear creek park and so i was invited to submit an application you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I was like, okay, yeah, I would love to do it. Okay, I guess this is happening. And uh, so I went through the application process and, you know, they had 300 people express an interest in being a speaker. They can only select 12. Yeah. And, and then they whittled it down to 60. Then they asked for the drafts and then we had to do a, a rehearsal where we're basically, we, we basically audition, you know, it's a, it's a dry read through of our talks or proposed talks. Then they narrow it to, to about 20. And then again, they do a final cut down to 12. So that, that takes a couple months for them to obviously go from the 300 down to 12. Once they get down to the 12, then you start almost a four, four and a half month process of working with coaches and their teams, the curation teams to fine tune the talk, to get it to a point where it's, yeah, it's, it's literally 11 minutes or less. You know, they prefer under 10 if they can. Mine was a bit over. If you notice, there's lots of pausing in my talk and it's- That's just, okay, it was great. <laughs> it, it's, that's me. I, I just- tend to pause and maybe not today it's like a stream of consciousness today but uh, normally when i'm talking i like that eye on the prize when you're at tedx yeah. on stage you yeah, have to slow down yeah. it, it was me it was me trying to get my heart rate down to be yeah. honest no, <laughs> like, 100%. it would have to be sweat and just i could feel myself just like <laughs> i can do this no one notices this is yeah, this is you super calm i would have never guessed oh, well thank yeah. you it's uh yeah I was definitely quaking in my boots, but uh, it, it was it was Toastmasters that that conditioning, that support, that leadership that I was able to absorb through all those years of, of participating in that organization. Uh, it definitely paid off. Um, and, and so here it was, you know, literally almost seven months to the day from the time that I put in my application to the time, day I stood on that red dot. You know, like it was a long process, but man, was it worth it. It was so worth it. It was one of the, the best as well as the most intimidating experiences in my life. But I learned so much and, and I'm so grateful for that opportunity. And, uh, and that's why I, I recommend it to anybody and everybody. Like, don't just, just go for it. You know, like if you've got a message, you got something that you want to share, go share it, you know, start sharing it now, but definitely look at the TEDx, uh, the TED platform is a great way to also get it out to a broader audience. And yeah. uh, did you know what you wanted, that that was what you wanted to speak about? Was there like that pull on your heart to do? Yes. Something? Yeah. Cause the, the last three years, uh, it started while I was living in Bali. I, I invited a, a good friend of mine, Nick, Nick Wood. I make mention of him actually in the talk where uh, he was the first person I invited to, to participate in a men's group that I wanted to put together called Mentorship Mondays. So it was just going to be Monday nights, a bunch of guys getting together for dinner and conversation, just to, to literally share what's alive and real for them without any fear of judgment or ridicule or, or 
I, I, no coaching counseling. Like we're just here to really just express, Hey, what's going on for us? Mm-hmm. Where are we at right now? And, and literally celebrate the wins as well. Like, yeah, this is the weird I love thing, that right? you said that Vegas rules apply. I thought, oh, yeah. okay, that makes sense. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it, and it has to, because uh, otherwise we wouldn't be able to have the space where people would feel okay with sharing fully and, and honestly. And, uh, so in those three years, you know, I mean, Nick was the first guy to say yes. And, and very quickly, you know, we realized we're going to, co- we're doing this together. So we co-facilitate as well as really, uh, I mean, I don't even like to refer to us as founders because it, it's the community that founded it. It, it. We just happened to be two guys that had an idea and started inviting guys. And, and the other guys started inviting guys who invited other guys who invited other guys. And yeah. You know, we're in four different time zones now. We like know that chart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it's amazing how it works. And, and because the impact that it was making in these people's lives by showing up and having this great community where you could actually just show up and be you <laughs> without any worry, no masks, no, no facades, no, no pretending to be somebody other than who you are. And it was radical. Like yeah. just, just what was being said. And, and so observing that, Mm-hmm. both as an active participant but also just as someone that watches is, is present to to hold space for for these other men i was like man more people need to tap into this like this what we're doing is not rocket science at all it's so duplicatable it's funny like it, it's so simple in design and and effective and so we're, i wanted to just get the message out you know i i knew that that was something i had to share and uh so was I, was it my heart that, yeah, it was my, my head and my heart and my whole body that felt like I needed to tell this story. And, uh, and it's been great. You know, some of the, the feedback I've received as well as a lot of the new men that have come in and joined our community. It's just been wonderful just to see, because it's the ripple effect, right? It's, that it's what happens on those Monday nights and how it reverberates out into their uh, lives professionally and personally, but also their communities. And it's, it's just so cool to, to bear witness to, you know? Have you noticed the stories change kind of as you guys go along and, and have more meetings together? Like, do the stories kind of go from like what I'm struggling with, what's real to like, hey, since we had this discussion, I'm now doing this or, you know, like the ripple effect, is it coming back into to the stories and the Mentorship Mondays? Yeah, it really does. From the standpoint that we, we do tend to share updates. You know, we just naturally do or, or tap into something that we may have said maybe a month ago and be like, oh, yeah, I remember I, I remember I shared this about, you know, four weeks ago and really cool thing happened. X, Y, Z, you know, like and uh, so. So, again, it, we sort of preface it with what's alive and real for you right now. You know, like it's it's literally whatever that might be right now in this moment. And uh, and it could be something amazing that's happening in your life or it could be something that's really challenging. Like we, we don't want it to always be that we're coming just to, to share our baggage, right? right. Like it's not, I, and then this is something that I experienced as a man where I, I became very gun shy to even talk about the good things that were going on in my life. Cause I was always concerned that the other men would think that I'm bragging, I'm showboating. That's uh, ego yeah. again, right? Like what, what started all of it. It's just another side of ego trying to get right. you from living your best life. Mm-hmm. And it happens though. And uh, you know, this is what I experienced. And when I started talking to the guys about this and it's like, well, yeah, I feel the same way, you know, like, but, but this, that's alive and real for us. It's like, man, I had a huge win this weekend. It's like, here, this is what happened to me. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, like, (laughs) and to be able to authentically see in the other men and, and hear them speak and, 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 
it's just it's so awesome like yeah. that's all i can say is like to, to, to just know that they're there and they're they're truly authentically happy for the person and what they're they're achieving in their life right now and and you know because we're all there but we also know the next week i i i, I may not be sharing something very positive it might be something really yes. negative that's going yeah, on yeah. And, but that's that's life right we got this sort of undulation of <laughs> ups and downs and side to sides and all that other stuff but that's what's alive and real i'm so curious that not to put like a negative spin on this or anything yeah, but yeah. If, so say you are sharing a win um but there's somebody who you can tell isn't happy for you or isn't really meshing like does that kind mm. of weed itself out or how do you keep things the way that it started we might see that with people that are newer to the community because mm. like very often i don't get it well <laughs> like i'll be honest like especially when it's in person like it's different on zoom right it's just yeah. it's just different and it's i i don't I like being on Zoom as well, but th there's something special of meeting with people in person of and course, having yeah. that space, like in person, because often it was the conversations that happened after our initial sharing that, that we were most inspiring and most connected, you know, and, and mm -hmm. I find that with Zoom, it, it's sort of like, well, we ended and it's like, oh, yeah, we'll see you guys next week, you know, like it's not, yeah. it's not the You're same thing. You're left to just process. Yeah. 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 <laughs> A little watered down. And, but the newest yeah. people that would show up, they'd often show up and like, oh, well, I'm here because someone else told me about it. Or I saw a post online or whatever, right? Like, it, it's like, I'm here, but I don't really have any idea what I'm here for or what this is about. Right, something and, new. Well, it, it's the deer in headlights syndrome, right? It's just like, because mm -hmm. yeah. the first person that goes and shares that night, like, it sets the tone for the evening. It sets the tone for the, the, the whole session. And it, it gives permission to others to now open up as well but I often find that first share is is often the one that sets a lot of the tone yeah it dictates the way the rest of the conversations go and what people are willing to share for sure and it also well because we tend to riff off each other right we sort of play off one another share we we also get triggered or inspired by something that somebody said and now it's triggered something that's alive and real for us right now and we want to share something else that's that and and it's our way of relating rather than coaching or counseling or providing advice based on what someone's sharing it's like we'd rather focus more on the mentorship type scenario where it's like oh yeah you know what me too i i've yeah. i've dealt with something very similar to that, and this is sort of how it shows up for me now and here's my experience but it's not directed as hey you should try this it's just simply hey me too i know how you're feeling mm -hmm. i've had a similar experience this is what's happened with me and it's just alive and real for me and so the people that are negative or very closed arms initially yeah. If they don't open up within, you know, the first 20 to 30 minutes, the odds of them coming back for a, another session, is almost zero. Like, okay, I, yeah. I just, it, it, and they're just not ready. It's okay. Like, yeah. I, it's fine. We'll be like, here. Yeah. Well, and that's all we can do. We, we just, we, we have the space. We're going to be there every week. You want to come mm -hmm. show up. If you don't want to come, it's okay. But realize we're here, you know. And, and now they have a better uh, idea of what to expect. Yeah. So they could come back with a more open mind. For sure. For sure. But it's it's pretty cathartic for one. You know, there there is that aspect once you start doing it. And, and I remember this experience in Bali. We had a guy after the meeting say, like, you know, what I shared tonight, I've never said to anybody. Mm -hmm. And I remember asking him, like, well, how do you feel about that? He goes, I feel so like the way he equated is like I felt like I had a hundred pound backpack on my back. Mm -hmm. And it's gone. Like it's just 
not there. And to, to see the guys, we would have these hand gestures uh, we would often use because you don't want to interrupt the flow. You know, someone's sharing, it's like, hey, you got the conch, you get to talk, you know, like <laughs> we won't interrupt. One man speaks at a time, right? And gives that, everyone else gives that man full attention. And so, but we don't want to interrupt that by like, even if saying, oh, I get you, you know, saying that while he's sharing, especially sharing something very, very vulnerable for the very first time, mm-hmm. that can interrupt uh, the flow of, of that, share or that that stream of consciousness so we, we in place use hand gestures and uh i remember that gentleman's sharing and we have a hand gesture for really just being able to relate like if we empathize or we've had something similar it's like, like man i get you well well yeah like that but we, we basically take the hands and we put the hands actually on on the table in front of us you know so guys would put their hands i remember half the guys put their hands out on the table and Wow. He afterwards said, I had no idea that so many other guys also struggle with this. That's very powerful. It's yeah. huge, right? Because so many of us think we're, we're struggling on our own. No one will understand what I'm dealing with. It's like, man, are we that special? Are we that much of a snowflake? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like, literally. No, when I, when I first started kind of like writing about the stories that I want to tell, that was one of the first things I realized. I am not unique <laughs> at all. Like I might have some things, but like, No, it's very universal, the themes that we all deal with throughout our lives. And I think the second I realized that, it's again that big piece of humble pie of just like, this is about a lot more than me. It literally has nothing to do with me. And I think that that's exciting. It is exciting. And and that's what I like to tell people regularly. I want to remind them that, yeah, you, you know, we might have similar experiences, but the way we share those experiences or tell of our experiences and the learnings that we've had through those experiences, that is unique to our own, you know? And, and not everybody's gonna relate to one person's telling of that story, right? Mm-hmm. Or of those reflections. And that's why I believe the more people that are sharing openly about these, it doesn't matter if it's a similar story to XYZ shared, it's your story and certain people will resonate with you and they're gonna get you where other people won't relate with that other person that shared a very similar story. And, and I think we witness this all the time, right? Like, I mean, look at how many movie plots are there. Like if you've done any work with like around the hero's journey, right? Joseph Campbell, I don't know if you guys are familiar with him, but it, really cool stuff, you know, back in like the, the 60s and 70s, he, this guy was like a researcher and a historian and he looked at storytelling through humanity. And he basically was said, there's only so many archetypes. And I think it's like nine, nine archetypes, nine sort of storylines when you look at the hero's journey basically nine plots it will ruin how you look at movies be warned you know once you understand oh no i'm I'm familiar with what you're talking about So there's one movie plot is what you're telling me (laughs) yeah pretty much much. and and yet the challenges will echo any of these archetypes right and once you understand the flow it's like oh man it's so cookie cutter right but you don't have the same setting you don't have the same like soundtrack like all those different things all of it so there's all these unique aspects that make it truly unique. And, and that's why I think it's so important for us is to be open and, and, and continue to share the stories. Now, we don't have to do it. We don't have to do anything. But I know when we start to accept that and adopt a more open dialogue around some of the things that we struggle with, but more specifically how we navigated the challenge and, and came out of it, you know, wiser. Okay, I'll just say wiser, <laughs> you know, uh, that, that that's important to learn. Like that's that, those are the life lessons that we can all benefit from understanding and hearing, and and that's why I think there's never going to be a shortage of people, uh, of, of stories that will impact our lives, and uh, we just need more people sharing, 
you know, and that's why it's great what you guys are doing with your podcast. I was going to say, my hand's on the table. <laughs> I know, right? Like, well, you're doing just that. You're capturing these conversations. You're capturing these moments yeah. and, and then you're sharing them openly to, to the globe, yeah. you know, and uh, I think it's just wild. It's so cool. Yeah. It's so cool. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so curious. I heard you say that you are an introvert mm-hmm. um, and we talk a lot here about kind of like protecting ourselves against burnout and how we keep ourselves balanced, but still productive, but also sane. Um, and you do a lot. So what do you do to keep yourself? Um, how, do, how do you recharge, I guess? Yeah, well, well it, it shifts like, and this is not an excuse, but back in December, well, actually last year was interesting. Not only COVID's there, but I, I got an infection. I needed an emergency surgery, oh, wow. uh, which, you know, sort of threw me for a loop. And uh, I also have a, a chronic autoimmune disease and uh, it, it affects me where if it gets lit up, uh, you know, it really zaps me of my energy. And uh I then also had uh, an epigastric hernia repaired, which is a hernia that's usually right in the middle of your abs, you know, basically uh, about three or four fingers above where your umbilical cord would have been, your belly button. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I had all these things. It was like this perfect storm last year. Oh, <laughs> and, my God. And, and so it, it threw my health. It, it, it's because it, you it, left Bali. <laughs> well, yeah. I know. And, and like, I never felt so healthy as I did when I was living in Bali. To be honest, my entire lifetime, I've never felt as connected to my health and well-being as I was when I was living there. And and I believe that a lot of the habits I had there can also be duplicated here. But based on the year and a bit that we've had, everyone's health has been challenged. We've all been challenged. We're we're spending a lot more time than we care to admit in front of these screens. Absolutely. With all the lockdowns that we've had to endure, (laughs) you know, like our, our mobility has decreased drastically. Like our mental health has been definitely challenged. And you know, so when I look at the last year, you know, I definitely had some aspects of my rituals challenged. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I like to think, hey, I've got the mindset, I know what to do. But still, I found myself also feeling challenged just to take the action, to do the thing that I know will make me feel better, you know. And uh, so <laughs> I, and I want to disclose that because, you know, even though I'm going to share some things that do work for me, have I been consistent with them? Not the way that I have been in the past. You know, that's full disclosure, full transparency. I love that you said that your rituals were disturbed. Like, I've never heard it put that way. And I think that because it's always like, I think a lot of the times you say, it's, oh, it's not my schedule or I can't do that. I love the idea of a ritual versus that. I think that that makes sense. like a to-do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it does that's feel like sacred. Soul stuff. Yeah. And that's the ah. point. That idea of sacred, uh, sacredness when it comes to these habits, you know, these these ritualistic things that we do for ourselves, especially. It, it, it's. Let me put it this way. There's certain things that if we do, we know we'll never regret. Ever regret, right? Like, well, as a, an example, you know, I, I often encourage people that if they're learning to get back to healthy, right, just get back to feeling good. One of the easiest ways to start to do that from a nutritionary standpoint is start introducing a lot more green leafy vegetables, right? Like I, I know it sounds almost cliche today, but yet a lot of people still don't do it, you know, or make the time to, to eat their veggies. Mm-hmm. And, and so I like to challenge people. It's like make a salad that you're super proud of. Lots of greens, lots of vibrant colors, and it, you know some lean protein on there. If you're a vegetarian or vegan, hey, get some tofu. Maybe some cedar plank salmon if you're on the west coast. You know, look for something that sources locally, and and make something that you're really proud of. 
you know, and have at least one a day, yeah. just one a day. That's all. Just introduce that one thing and tell me you don't notice some changes within a few days. Yeah. Here's the thing. I've never had anybody reach out to me and say, die. I had that salad for lunch today. Boy, do I regret it. You know, like, <laughs> I, I, how dare you tell I, me to eat salad? Yes, never. Right. And also exercise, right? We feel yeah. good. I know it's a challenge to get the body moving. The body at rest wants to stay at rest. But yet when we get that inertia going and we get the momentum going, a body in motion likes to stay in motion too, you know? So it's that idea of trying to get moving. And I've never had anybody message me and say, Diet, man, I worked out today. Oh, I regret working out. You know, like, we just don't. And, and so I think if we start to look at the self-care rituals, you know, mm -hmm. journaling, meditation, breath work, mobility training and conditioning, fitness, right? Just getting out for a nice walk in nature, having a great conversation with somebody or listening to an inspiring podcast like yours, or, you know, listening to a TEDx talk. Like there's lots of ways that we can feed our minds, our bodies and our souls. And, and mm -hmm. those are the things that just don't worry about trying to do everything. Just find one thing that you can do consistently and make it a ritual, make it something that's non-negotiable and a priority. And, uh, you know, if you're like me and I'm very, uh, you know, retentive this way, if it's not on my calendar, it's probably not going to happen. And uh, so I, I recommend block your time, make time something that's tangible, you know, and, and if you can have a calendar or a day planner where you can block out and don't be so prescriptive that you're just like, I'm going to exercise on a Stairmaster from 8.30 to 9. Like, don't because you know what's going to happen it'll be 8 32 and you'll be like oh i'm late ma forget it i'll just get back on yep. track tomorrow maybe tomorrow yep yeah so don't be so prescriptive create a window it's your hour for you or half an hour whatever you are willing to give yourself because remember you're the only one that can give this to yourself is you you know self-care that's the thing self is the big one yeah i, I mean unless anybody nobody's now, gonna put that on their schedule for you i was yeah. gonna say cal that if there's anybody out there that has a position in their company where they're gonna pay me to look after myself i'm for hire you know like yeah. <laughs> i'm for hire and, uh, but i have yet to find that job but um so we have to take it on our loss, right? Like we, we have to just own that. And, and, and so give yourself that block time and do what you feel like doing with that. But make sure it's something in the self-care space. It's going to feed your mind, your body, your spirit in a real positive way. So you come out of that feeling charged, jazzed, focused, and ready to take on the rest of the day. You know, like that's, that's the best way I can sort of sum it up that, that just make it happen. You know, like, I know it sounds like, oh, geez, man, he's getting all excited about this. I am, <laughs> you know, I'm like, yeah, because it's really You're simple, right. but simple doesn't mean easy. And I think that that's what all mm -hmm. hung up, right? It's like, oh, right. just tell me whatever the price is for the pill, I'll take it. And then all my dreams will come true. I'm like, well, I have yet to discover the pill. So yeah. get to work, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I get off in these tirades. I'm like, oh, I gotta go. No, it's the soapbox. <laughs> Stay on it. Stay on it. Do more talks. You're really good at it. You are very, very inspiring. I think our community is going to get a lot out of oh, having you here. You. And anytime you want to come back, please do, because this was awesome. I'm in. I'm so in. Awesome. I love what you guys are doing. I think it's so cool. Thank you. I think you're still Die the Fun Guy, by the way. Yeah, I oh, like, thank I you. Ah. I don't think you lost the title. Well, I think I'm, I'm redefining the title. And, yeah. uh, or at least... Uh, changing the qualifications to mm -hmm. have the title and yeah it's been one hell of a journey uh, 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 and I know we've all had similar journeys 
And if there's one thing I can say, just as we sort of sum up and, and finish today, you know, I, I, I'm not a Buddhist, but I appreciate the works that Buddhism's provided, especially some of the teachings from Buddha, you know, and I, I think he's a pretty wise guy, like whatever, 25, 2600 years ago, you know, he, he said some pretty cool things. Uh, one of the things was this too shall pass, you know, and, and I think a lot of us think when we hear this too shall pass, the, the way we understand, at least the way I used to understand it was, okay, as challenging as I might find myself in this situation, don't worry, you're going to get through this. It's going to be okay. You know, mm-hmm. just trust a process, trust myself enough to get me through this. But I was reminded when I went and did my first Vipassana, and uh, for those that don't know, it's a 10-day silent retreat where you basically sit on a pillow from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed, and you just breathe through your nose. Like, it's like... It was oh, the most man. intense Why didn't thing. Talk about this. <laughs> oh, well, I'll, I'll come back and we'll talk about it. But okay, it, it was the most intense thing I've ever done, even though it was the most inactive thing I've ever done. <laughs> so it was like it was so challenging, but but it was an amazing experience. And that's my worst nightmare. Yeah, well, you know what? It's one of those things that say it can be a nightmare, but just because I was the guy that was like, I'm never going to do that. And I'd meet people to be like, oh, I just did this. I'm like, you're nuts. Good for you, but no, <laughs> I will not do that. Until I had like three or four of those conversations, I'm like. Okay, the universe is telling me I should probably do one of these, you know, like, yeah. why am I so against this? And, and so I, I did. And, uh, but I, I was taught this idea of this too shall pass. It's actually more appropriate to keep mind of that, that, that one phrase every moment of your life, especially mm-hmm. the great moments, mm-hmm. you know, like I think back to, to, to my kids being born, you know, to the day I met my wife, to the, day I stood on the TEDx stage you know and accomplished that thing that had been on my vision board for seven years like there's some great milestone moments and those two passed mm-hmm. you know and and so remembering that all the great things as well as the challenging things they all pass they all will eventually be in our past so just enjoy right now as best you can you know and that if you do that every day wake up with that intentionality you know what life's gonna be okay mm-hmm. it's gonna be okay and uh, so that's it. That's what I wanted to leave on, on that note. And uh, just thank you both for this. Beautiful. Today. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, thank you. Guys. Such a good time. <laughs> we'll be in touch. Sounds Bye great. Guy. Thank you both. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, we invite you to come be a part of the HDC community. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching at Have the Combo. For information on all of our shows, guests, and more, visit htcpod.com. While you're there, be sure to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Talk soon.